Hi everyone, this is Devin from Fluvio and you're listening to Embracing Erosion, the podcast that lets you inside the heads of product marketers, investors, and go-to-market leaders who tackle changes head-on and turn them into competitive advantages. Before today's show, I wanted to give a quick plug for the Competitive Enablement Show. Product marketers and competitive enablement professionals looking for more great content need to check out Clue's Competitive Enablement Show, powered by the Compete Network. Every week, host Adam McQueen chats with PMMs, Compete Pros, CEOs, and investors from the world of tech and beyond to find out the tactics and strategies they use to get a competitive advantage over the competition. You can even listen to a conversation I had with Adam when I was fortunate enough to be a guest for episode 60 of that show, talking about how the best go-to-market leaders carve out a competitive advantage. Catch season three of the Competitive Enablement Show, powered by the Compete Network, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever else you get your podcasts. On this episode of Embracing Erosion, I had on Rowan Norona. Rowan is the founder of the Product Marketing Community, the world's first and only not-for-profit community built for product marketing professionals. Rowan has 20 years of experience marketing technology and software solutions and leading product marketing teams while also advising CMOs and product marketing leaders at both high growth and enterprise companies such as Gong and Clary to name a few. When he's not empowering product marketers, you'll find him in Toronto, either at the soccer pitch, basketball court, or at home with his three kids. I always enjoy my time with Rowan, a man that seems to be everywhere in the world of technology marketing. On this episode, we discuss where product marketers should sit within a SaaS organization, what the definition of product marketing is, and how product marketers can help CMOs and C-suite executives win. Hint, that's an acronym, and you'll find out what it stands for. And finally, we get his take on the four most important characteristics leaders must have. As a reminder, if you do enjoy this show, there are two simple things you can do that would be immensely helpful. First, you can rate and or review this show wherever you're listening. And second, you can share it with a few folks you think would enjoy it as much as you do. That's it. Just those two things would go a long way. Without further ado, let's get into it. Rowan, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, thanks for having me, Devin. I, I'm loving what you and the Fluvio crew are doing uh, in you know to help further product marketing. I appreciate it. So I always have time for for my fellow product marketing evangelists. Well, thank you. Uh, where do we find you? Are you in home in uh, Toronto? I'm in Toronto, Canada, you know, different country from the US. We're not a different city or a different state. It's a different country up north uh, from where you folks <laughs> are. Heard of it. Just clarifying. Uh, but I'm in good old Toronto. We are coming out of um, the winter seasons here. So the spring could not come fast enough. I'm here with my wife and three lovely kids. Amazing. Yeah, we're uh, we're starting to get some warm weather here in in Colorado. We had skiing this last weekend, and then on the way home, it was sixty and sunny. So, spring is upon us. Yeah, and um, I love Colorado. We we did a family vacation to Denver and Boulder this past summer, and it's beautiful. Just for people who enjoy outdoors, I can I can see why a ton of folks I know have actually moved from the East Coast um, to 
to the Denver yeah. area. It's gorgeous. Yes, and it's becoming more and more popular. But we're we're liking it so far. Almost coming up on a year since we moved from New York. But so far, it's been quite nice. Yeah, um, and I'm Canadian, so I have to say, pretty good hockey team too. Hey. Yes. Yeah. I mean, all this. Well, actually, the Broncos stink. But other than the Broncos, all the sports teams here are performing pretty well. So that's it's exciting. Well, thank you for taking the time. Um, so let's start with your your early story. So how you came to get into the tech world and found a love for product marketing. We will dig into the product marketing community, which you've been building, but let's take a step back and start with the early days of Rowan. Yeah. Early days uh, were, were a little bit of the boring days. I, I got my first start in tech uh, working for Canon, actually the, the camera folks, but sure. I wasn't on the sexy line of cameras. I was in the other part where they make most of their business actually on the B2B side um, and that's, you know, scanners, fax machines, copiers, networking equipment. And I, my first job was in product marketing. But at that time, I had no clue what product marketing was. Genuinely didn't know what the hell I, I was applying for. And I was told by my then product marketing lead, you need to tear down Xerox, Rico, and all these other copiers in, in this lab that we had and and you know tell sales why it's better why it's faster why the color is better and i look back on it now and i'm like oh my god literally specs uh and feeds feeds paper feeds and and, and how fast can these things go and and what's the quality of the the output um all things that i would like just absolutely ignore today if i was doing that job 100 again but that's where I got my start. It was uh, Canon, fax, copiers, printers. Uh, doesn't get any more sexier than that, Devin. It, it stuck with me. The fact that what we would say would resonate with sales and they'd hang off our every word, which was a lot of pressure, uh, especially for my first job. But that, that, you know, almost 20 years ago, that's where I got my first start. Amazing. And so you've really become one of the core champions for our field, product marketing, and you have established the world's first product marketing community. So it's called Product Marketing Community seven years ago. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about how you came up with the concept for the community? How, is it, how has it evolved over the years? And what do you see ahead for its future? Product marketing was, was some will argue, is very misunderstood. And when I used to ask people, what is product marketing? How should we go about product marketing? I'd get a different response from the folks that I spoke to at the leadership level, as well as the front lines. And, um, you know, I would speak to analysts at Gartner, Sears Decisions at the time, now part of Forrester, Pragmatic Marketing, Pragmatic Institute is what they're now called the OGs of product management and product marketing. And I would get a different answer every single time what is product marketing responsible for? Different answer. What is the definition of product marketing? Different answer. Uh, who should product marketing interlock with and play with as you know we help companies grow and win? Different answer. And I said, no, this, this cannot be the case. Like we need to standardize this. So then I started looking for associations. I know there was tons for digital marketers, product managers have their own you know, uh, associations and groups and uh, whatnot. And I could not find one for product marketing at the time 
other than the you know the the course and the alumni of the courses that Pragmatic Institute were were providing. And so then I I, I sent to remember it was Jay Gaines, the CMO of Serious Decisions at the time, and then Pragmatic Marketing, uh, Gartner, and a few others. I said, listen, Rishi, Rishi Suda at Gartner, who's still there and driving the, the practice, uh, brilliant practice of product marketing at Gartner. I said, if I create a, a little meetup of product marketers in Toronto and I get you know the lovely April Dunford and all these other folks to come and speak, will you come and speak and further the cause? And they said, Sure. Yeah, we'll do that. And um, I honestly think they didn't think I would go ahead and, and do it. So they just said yes. Uh, but lo and behold, I, I created a, a conference April 22nd in Toronto, 2016. Uh, my wife and at that time, two kids, I have a 14, 10 and four year old now. But at that time, I, we didn't have our third. Were And my nephews uh, also were manning the registration table uh helping with just you know everything to do with the actual event and i thought 50 60 product marketers would show up and a couple hundred product marketers showed up in toronto and i remember sitting there thinking oh my god i think there's a tribe of us here and they want help they they want to band together and then their colleagues in san francisco heard of this and said we want this as well. Come, come to San Francisco. So we took the conference to San Francisco, uh, and a few hundred showed up there. And then just year after year, we started adding a city and until we were in six cities, the six big tech hubs of North America. I'm not going to name them because I'm going to leave out some city that thinks they're a tech hub in North America and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to annoy people. So I'll just say there's six. San Francisco, Toronto, you know, New York, uh, Seattle, I won't mention the others, but there, there were six. Uh, and it grew from there. There was a there was a camaraderie. There was a there was a feeling of uh, we want to further the discipline together. Uh, since day one, Devin, I did this as a not for profit. To this day, it's not for profit. We've never had a sponsorship prospectus ever. Our tickets to the conferences were it was like one hundred and fifty bucks, two hundred bucks um, for a full day, and you get the best of the best speakers. Uh, and that just covers the cost of the venue or, or how does that work? Exactly. We would, b- yeah. because, you know, we weren't giving cold sandwiches out. We would uh, share a full <laughs> breakfast, a hot meal. It was always a hot meal. Whether you come to my house or my conference, there's no cold sandwiches. It's always a hot meal. We'd end the day. My, my kids would have little baskets with Ferrer Rocher and Lindor chocolates in the afternoon to hand around to everyone to pick people up. And then we ended the day with, uh, you know, drink tickets for everyone. So as you can imagine, 150 bucks, 200 bucks doesn't, you know, cover most of that. So we started getting some partners and my line to them to this day is the same thing. Give what you can help cover the cost and let's keep going. So that's uh, that was really the, the genesis of it and why it's going on to this day. COVID threw a bit of a wrench in the conference part sure. of it. But uh, yeah, that's that's what we do. Amazing. I actually remember, I don't think I ever brought this up to you, but I attended one of your events in Seattle. One of the first months I was working for Amazon. Um, I think it was, it might've been in an Amazon building. I'm not sure. It was. And and you know who helped get us that building? Your last guest. Oh, Julie did. Julie did. Yes. And she had Pinterest. So she was kind of to secure the beautiful room and, um, uh, yes, Amazon Web Services hosted yeah. in Seattle. 
And I think that yeah, was, was probably 2017. I think that yes. was 2017. So yep. it must have been early on in the community's life cycle. So how has it evolved since since 2016? And uh, what do you see? What do you see ahead? Yeah, you know, we grew to uh, today just over 15,000 um, subscribers. We have a newsletter. We have a podcast called The Market Tech. Uh, we have the community itself. Um, we stopped doing conferences and, and events because of COVID. And we haven't picked it up just yet because, uh, well, my kids who were managing you know, the front desk are, are now a little bit older and their wages are, are exorbitant <laughs> that they're charging. And so I don't know if I could afford it. Uh, but in all seriousness, I just because I, I have a full-time job, I do advisory work. And then the community was my side passion project. We fo- decided to focus on the on the podcast, the Marketect, and our newsletter as well. And there will be a time where we resurrect the events. Uh, maybe this year is the year, or maybe next year. We haven't decided yet, but um, once we do, we'll announce it in your show. How about that? <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So both of us really know the difference between when companies and executives really understand and value product marketing. And you you alluded to the fact that product marketing has been historically pretty misunderstood. Maybe you could argue still today. Um, From your experience, how can you help executives who might've been, you know, historically lacking that exposure to product marketing? How do you help them understand the value of product marketing? Yeah. uh, Great question, Devin. And so I'll say this. For chief marketing officers, and that's who the role should report to, just so we're on the same page, uh, I've seen it on the product side. I've seen it on the marketing side. In some cases, I've seen it on the sales side as well. But where should product marketers play? I'm going to start with that and then get to the what is the value of product marketing? What does product marketing do? But the where we play is crucial for a CMO to understand the value thereafter. I've simplified the buildup of an organization and just the go-to-market of an organization into the number eight. So imagine the number eight. It has two loops. There's a loop at the top and then there's a loop in the bottom. Uh, In most companies, these two loops are disparate. There are two loops, one on top of each other, not connected. They're just two floating loops um, and they're perpetually in their own world, building products. The top loop is building products. The bottom loop is selling products. The two loops are rarely talking to each other until you have the wonders of product marketing, which acts as that connective tissue that brings the two loops together to form this infinity loop, uh, this, this eight, if you will. And so product marketing sits is the pin right between those two loops and it's the connective tissue between the two loops. And what we do is we help those who build at the top, product management, pro- engineering, you know, QA, that, that whole crew, uh, product management's our, our conduit to that crew. We help them understand what products to build and for who. And then once they build it and it comes around the loop and now it's getting ready to go down the eight, where you have marketing, you have sales, you have customer success, you have services, support, so on and so forth, all the folks that help sell. The marketing, the product marketing team helps educate and drive the go-to-market for this product, leveraging this revenue team as one. 
it's a continuous and infinity motion because it's not a one and done. Building a product is not one and done. Launching a product is not one and done. It's perpetual. And so the repeatability of this figure eight ensures that if you have product marketing doing their job, helping those who build and those who sell and playing right at the intersection of those two things, that's where they can create the most value for the company because now they understand their interlocks. They understand that they're serving those upstream and those downstream. That's crucial because there's meeting cadences to be had there. There's relationships, there's inputs and outputs. and, And until you define each of those, How often are we meeting? What is your input to me? What is my input to you? Output, et cetera, et cetera. Until product marketing teams understand that and their CMOs understand that, uh, the what product marketing team does is irrelevant. The where is crucial. And then with that in place, the where, we are the pin between the two loops. Then we get to what does product marketing team do for a company and what's the value of it? And it's taken me a while, by the way. Um, I've seen many definitions and I've tried to simplify it and I've, I've, I've whittled it down to three words. And it's a bit of a cheat because one of those words is an acronym. And so, but it's three words nonetheless. Uh, uh, we help technology companies position to win. That's what product marketing does. Product marketing helps technology companies position to win. What does position mean? April Dunford does a marvelous job of defining this. And so we're going to stick to to what she defines positioning as. I'm not going to come up with my own way, but we're positioning ourselves in the minds of our best fit customers against the competitive alternatives that they have to ensure that they understand contextually that we are a fit for their jobs to be done. And how we do that is in the win framework. So position to win. Win, you break it down this way. The first thing product marketers need to do, who are we serving? Who is our best fit customers? Product marketing has to be the champion for the organization in understanding who do we serve? Who is our ideal customer profile? And who are the buying personas within that ICP that we should be serving, crafting content for, offers, pricing and packaging, all that goodness. So the first W in the win is who. There's another part to the who, which is who are we competing against? So who are we serving? And then who are we also deciding to compete against? Sometimes you let sleeping dogs lie. Uh, There's some competitors, you don't want them to know that you're in their space nor are entrenching in their space. Let them do what they're doing and you strategically get into that category, carve out a small piece and start eating away at at that category um, because you, you have a smaller subset of competitors to compete against rather than getting into in that category and saying, we are going to be all about productivity and we're going to take on Microsoft. God help you. If you have the tool to take on Microsoft and, and be the productivity app um, for the world, all the best to you. That is not what I would recommend. I would look at the productivity category and say, what's a carve out that we could you know, best serve that is being underrepresented at the moment? And then who are the best fit customers in that carve out? And who are the existing competitors there? So with the who in hand, then you move on to the I in the win. And that's, there's a certain value that your company has for these best fit customers. And there's a certain value your product and or solution has. And that's table stakes, the value that you provide them. 
That's what a good product marketer would do. I'm so, and I'm going to say, if you want to be a great product marketer, like good old Devin here, uh, who is a great product marketer, then you want to take that value and tangibly show what is the impact of that value. What is the impact that that value is going to provide your customer, your buyer, your user? Showcase that. So you got the who, you got the impact. And with those two things in hand, then you move on to the end which is the narrative. This is the Steve Jobs effect. This is, you know, what really can separate product marketers is, is telling that narrative for that your internal stakeholders understand your demand gen team, your, what campaign should they create? What, what, what are those campaigns founded on? What is your enablement team, your, your sales team, your customer success team for acquisition, retention, expansion type conversations? All that needs to be airtight. And that narrative is is built out through product marketing. The other parts of the narrative is from a customer perspective to a prospect, there's a different narrative that you want to have there. So building out your core narrative as to what purpose you have, what jobs to be done you solve for, and the outcomes and the impact that you have, uh, and then take take all your stakeholders and nuance the narrative for them, for their, you know, for their role. Um, so that's that's the win framework. That's how product mark what product marketers do. They help companies win using that framework, and they position these companies to win with the, their best fit customers. Yeah, I like that. Um, I think you're you're simplifying it nicely. Um, I like the win framework. I also really like the infinity wheel you spoke about. It sort of aligns with how we think about a go to market motion. At Fluvio, where we we don't see it as a linear process, we think of it as an infinity loop of sorts. So that's it's nice to hear you think along the same lines. So you mentioned impact, obviously the I and the win, um, and you've alluded to the fact that you think product marketing should sit within the marketing org and report into the CMO. But how can product help the CRO and their team? You know, we always hear about how product marketing it's challenging to attach our performance to very tangible revenue-based goals. How do you see product marketers effectively doing this today and changing that perception? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I hear a lot that product marketing, they sit in this you know ivory tower and they create these messages and this content throw it over the wall and pray to God that it works. Uh, or they, 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 they come to the organization and say, we're going to launch a new product. Um, let's, you know, let's do these 81 things on a checklist and hope for the best, but really how product marketing can, can, can be architects of growth. Uh, a architect, a architect is really a marketer who's a product marketer who's an architect of growth. And so is, is really affecting getting closer to the revenue. So getting really close to the chief revenue officer and their team. Uh, Most CROs I know now own both sales and customer success. And so how can we create revenue plays for sales, for acquisition purposes, uh, and then also different plays for uh, the customer success folks from a retention and expansion perspective? Product marketing, by virtue of being right in the middle of that infinity loop of go-to-market, should be the individuals that are driving revenue plays. I'm not saying they should be the individuals that solely decide on what place to run and create on a quarterly basis, but product marketing should absolutely 
uh, be the ones that are bringing the revenue team together and saying for this quarter or these two quarters, two quarters at most, I'd say, what are the plays that we're going to run as an organization? How can we get more focused and bring product, marketing, sales, customer success together, enablement, rev ops, and say, we are going to get focused as an organization. And for the next quarter or two quarters, we are only going to run these two or three plays, revenue plays. We're going to sit with the sales management team and figure out what the objectives are, where they light, uh, where do they need a lot more, a um, lot more help and say, you know, we've been having, excuse my French, ass or ass kicked by competitor X for the past few quarters. Well, then let's create a competitive displacement play. Or we have a new product that's coming down that is really going to change uh, this category. Let's focus a, a, a play on new product launch. Or we've launched a product in the past. It's just not getting the right traction. Let's revisit it and figure out how to take this existing product and, and cross-sell it into a segment of our existing customer base. Whatever the case may be, there's different types of plays, but get together as a group to understand what plays should we build? What plays should we then run? How are we tracking these plays? How are we coaching to these plays? And then how are we either sunsetting the play, iterating the play, and then so the cycle keeps going. But revenue plays is something tangible that product marketing can drive because we understand our customers best. We understand the messaging and the content that's going to resonate. We uh, have a say in, in pricing and packaging or we drive pricing and packaging. So the offer of the play is something we can uh, uh, we can help drive and then bringing together this revenue team of product management, marketing, sales, customer success, enablement and RevOps. RevOps is the one moment, uh, one source of truth for all the data that drives the plays. Revenue plays is what can help us get a lot more credibility with the chief revenue officer um, and how we build the plays. We coordinate our efforts. We think about what plays we should determine to, to run, uh, who the play is for. That's the strategic part of the play. Uh, the length of the play, what's our offer, what's uh, that's all the strategy. And then there's two components that the play um, needs to be built on, which is what's the market readiness, marketing readiness for this play, and then the sales customer success readiness for this play, meaning this play is going to have air cover in the market. How is marketing going to help with that? So campaigns to be built out, content to be built out, events that we can be a part of, all that. And then the sales and customer success readiness component of the play is very much uh, what does the rep need to know about the play? What do they need to do within the play? We're going to call so-and-so. We're going to say this. We're going to show this. All that prescriptive playbook has to be built as part of the sales and customer success readiness component. Um, and, and frankly, this is how product marketing can get that much more tangible in, in helping drive results for an organization. Yeah, I, I really like all of that. I think in order to do that, you have to have someone who's really bought trust in the organization and sort of maybe leads by example, but you know, you can't just throw anyone into a position and take over the strategy behind revenue. So, um, you know, obviously we both have experience working with, with leadership teams. From your perspective, what do you believe to be the most important characteristics for a leader to have or build in order to have that sort of strategic position you referred to? 
you know, I, I've experienced a lot of fantastic leaders in my in my 20 years, um, and and they, they're all uh, they they come at you in different uh, different approaches. Uh, each of them has their own approach, unique to them. Uh, but what I've I've put together like uh, you know telltale bucket uh, four buckets of what makes a good leader based on my experience with leaders that I've had, and as well as some of the leadership books that I've I've uh, read. And the four buckets for me are such. So any great leader, there's a certain amount of vision that they provide. Like that vision provides a focus for your team, not just the company. I'm talking about whether it's a product marketing leader, whether it's customer marketing, chief marketing officer, chief revenue officer. That person needs to provide vision and focus for their unit so that these folks know here for a purpose, I'm here for a reason, and here's where we're going to focus our, our efforts. The second part is clarity. Every good leader that I've had is crystal clear on why they're there and why the team is there. And so they share, here is where our unit is going to have the most amount of impact. And here's the architecture of how we're actually going to go do that. They give a blueprint of sorts. They don't exactly spoon feed you how to go do your job, but they provide at least a blueprint of how we should, you know, uh, approach this problem that we're going to solve as a unit. The third is they're fantastic at coaching, not micromanaging, not just managing, but coaching. Sir uh, Alex Ferguson, one of the greatest sports coaches of all time, he was a coach at uh, Manchester United for, I believe, almost 30 years, I think, 25, 30 years. And, and within that time period, the amount of winning that this individual did with his units was absolutely exemplary. And Harvard uh, Business Review did a, a case study on him. And they teach a course, I think, with his input on leadership now as well. And he said, you don't coach a team. You coach individuals. Everyone is different. Everyone's unique. They, they respond to things in a different way. So you coach individuals, you don't coach just the team. And so the coaching and the nurturing of individual within your team, you have to get take time to get to know these people. How do they respond to situations? How do they respond to feedback? So coaching, nurturing is the third bucket that uh, great leaders have. And the fourth is every leader should have this. You, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, and introverts make great leaders, by the way. There used to be this fallacy that, you know, the best leaders and the CEOs of companies used to be this raw, 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 uh, you know, folks, I think Steve Ballmer with Microsoft, everyone thought that's what you needed to be as a CEO, getting on stage and raw, raw, and hyping and being that extrovert. And then, you know, the, the, the data's in. Introverts can very well be great leaders as well. Uh, look at Safia with, you know, what he's doing with Microsoft, uh, Shantanu with Adobe, and, you know, there's a, there's a list of folks that are introverts. But the one thing, introvert or extrovert, that they need to have is that they have to bring that energy. Um, they have to be the catalyst for their team, whether in good times and in, in, in bad times, they have a certain energy and catalyst uh, reaction about them that gets their team going at the right moment. So being, you know, focused, being having that vision, um, clarity, providing clarity and, and providing a bit of a blueprint architecture for how we're going to go win, being a phenomenal coach and nurturing every individual on that team rather than the whole. 
And then number four is you got to bring that energy. You got to be that catalyst for your crew uh, night in, night out. And not everyone can do that as such. Not everyone can be a leader. Yeah, those are four four good ones. The the clarity and vision, I think I'll throw another one in there that relates to that. But I think really good leaders operate with uh, a certain level of transparency. So yes. in order to paint a vision and, you know, make sure people are behind uh, your strategy, I think sharing the details, sharing the why and kind of pulling them along and not blocking off some of the inputs that you're using for decision-making, but rather be transparent around what data you're using. I've seen be super effective. Um, and then, yeah, the uh, introvert versus extrovert, it's really interesting. I agree. I think it doesn't really matter which of those you are, as long as you have all of these other factors, yes. you can sort of lean in and out of what's working well for you. I actually talked about this with Julie, uh, our last guest in that, you know, I've learned over the last couple of years that I'm a much more effective communicator uh, in written word, which is sort of ironic because I'm talking right now on a podcast, but I've noticed that with my team, I used to send out these little short videos and I've since stopped doing that. I'm much better at writing up my thoughts in an email and articulating everything more succinctly. So I've, I've pivoted in that direction. And that's just a personal leadership style that I think I've taken to. Um, so why don't you uh, give us a little bit more about how you've been influenced and you've developed these, these ideas about what makes for a great leader. You referred to a couple books, but you know, who, um, who or what has really had an influence on you and your career? The first book that I read on business really was a, a book called The End of Marketing as We Know It by, and I have it still, I still have it here. It's like 30 years old. I was reading it during school. Um, the End of Marketing as We Know It, it was the CMO of Coca-Cola at the time, Sergio Zyman. This guy was brilliant. He completely flubbed the new Coke launch uh, and the introduction of new Coke, uh, Coke in the first place. But beyond that, he was, he was a brilliant marketer. And what he said was, it was, you know, going back to that golden age of marketing or advertising, and uh, it was a lot of fluff, if you will. Marketing got a bad rap in the 80s and 90s as just being fluff uh, because it wasn't tangibly tied to, to dollars. And um, he... In the this book came out, I believe, early '90s, mid '90s, uh, when I first picked it up. Uh, he's the one that says product marketers need to get more not product marketers, marketing in general needs to get more strategic. Uh, we need to have a seat at the table, but we need to back up why we're doing what we're doing. We got to measure what we're doing, otherwise, uh, you're forever going to be uh, the first folks that are cut in tough times, and more importantly, you're not going to be invited to the table where strategic decisions are made. So that had a profound effect on me. Another individual on the on the marketing side was Professor Ken Wong at Queens, where I did my MBA. Uh, I went there specifically for him. Great school, great, all that. But I went there for him. This man really taught me marketing. And he had a brilliant expression that I will never forget. And he goes, you got to stay clear of margin-sucking maggots. He goes, there's different types of customers out there. And then there's one that you got to really learn to fire or stay clear off. And that's your margin sucking maggots. And I always thought to myself, my God, how can anyone forget that? 
Uh, but how? How do you stay clear of margin-sucking maggots? And who are margin-sucking maggots? And, and, and that's what drove me deeper and deeper into product marketing. And so I'll say I'm here in marketing because of those two individuals, uh, Professor Ken Wong and, um, and uh, Sergio Zyman. Uh, and, you know, you talk about influences. I, I have a, a very, I'll just say it, I have a very strong work ethic. Um, and that I got from my father and uh, who, who just, who did nothing but hustle his entire life. He gave things up um, along with my mother as well. He, they gave things up to, for us to come to Canada when uh, I was, you know, just, just before my teens. And um, he, he gave up building, building palaces and, and building beautiful uh, buildings and, and structures in the Middle East and around the world just to come here, fresh start, new job at the start as a, as a junior employee, almost all for us. And I see this man work and the work ethic that he put in to, to provide to us. And so me building this product marketing community whilst having a job, whilst having three kids that I'm a full-time chauffeur to now um, is because of, uh, you know, my, my family's influence on me, my father and my mother. So they, they played a big part in this. Uh, although I will say they, they're not the reason I'm in marketing, because when you uh, tell an, an Indian parent initially that you're going into marketing, their thoughts of marketing <laughs> TV commercials. And they're like, no, 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 no. You must you must be an engineer, doctor, lawyers. OK, but what is this marketing bullshit? <laughs> um, and, and that goes back to Sergio Zyman's point. People think marketing is bullshit because we didn't tangibly measure our impact on growth and winning and now we have the tools to do so and product marketing very much has the tools to uh you know showcase that we are architects of growth not architects of content which is what most people come to us for we're architects of growth using the win framework so long, long answer yeah. to your very short question my apologies no those are all really good resources and uh, yeah you looped it back to to the win framework and i think measuring success and putting us at uh, a seat at the table is it's slowly happening thank you again for taking the time i know you have to go in a bit you're going to be going on a family vacation i think to mexico which is amazing very yeah. jealous sitting here in the snow and going to be very jealous of you sitting on a beach um, but before we do how can our listeners uh, follow your your journey? Are you active on any um, you know social media networks or uh, yeah? How can people follow you? The Marketech Podcast, um, and and we have a, a newsletter, product marketing newsletter, and so uh, all that you can access through the Product Marketing Community co Product Marketing Community co or just. Hit me up on LinkedIn and let's connect on LinkedIn. And uh, I think I have a lot of those channels um, uh, on there as well. So you can join uh, my mother and maybe a couple of other people that listen to the Market Tech Podcast. My wife chooses not to. She already has enough for me, you know, uh, 20 hours of the day. So <laughs> fantastic. Well, yes, everyone, please do uh, take a take a listen, I suppose you say, to the Market Tech and subscribe to the newsletter. Rowan, thanks again for, for coming on. Good to see you. Hope to see you uh, in person soon and enjoy your trip to Mexico. Thank you, Devin. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm going to do a plug for this guy because he's too humble to do one himself. Uh, I've used Fluvio on a few occasions uh, just because there's so much that product marketing has to be 
uh, responsible for and, and to execute on. And, and most times we don't have the right budget or the resources to, to do it ourselves. And so um, if you're looking for some product marketing help uh, immediately, get in touch with Devin and his team. They really move the needle in, in a significant way. Amazing. Appreciate it. We've always enjoyed working with you. Hope to do it again soon. Thank you, Devin. Have a good one. Cheers. And that's a wrap on this episode of Embracing Erosion. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you have any feedback or comments or would like to have certain guests on the show, please feel free to reach out to me directly. My email is devin at fluviomarketing.com. And if you want to acquire additional product marketing resources, please do visit fluviomarketing.com slash resources. Until next time.